Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Welcome to WNJY, a podcast for New Jersey's YMCA professionals. Today is Thursday, March 17th, 2022. Happy St. Patrick's Day to those who celebrate. I'm Michael Reisman from the YMCA of Bucks and Hunterdon Counties. And today we're going to talk about teenage mental health, which many believe was in a state of crisis prior to the outbreak of COVID-19. Since COVID, for many teenagers and families and communities around the U.S., the situation has only become more sensitive and fragile. What are we talking about? We're talking about depression, drug addiction, and in the most tragic cases, suicide among teens and adolescents, some as young as 10 or 11 years old. Joining me today to discuss this issue, its impact on Y employees, and how some Ys are making a difference in their communities are Friends of the podcast, Leanne Wagner, Vice President of Counseling and Social Services for Greater from YMCA of Greater Monmouth County. And a little later, we will talk with Sue Cornell, Director of Strategic Partnerships and Engagement for the New Jersey YMCA State Alliance. Good morning, Leanne. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Good morning, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. You bet. So, Leanne, I'm sure it's strictly a matter of perception and perspective, but I heard it, I've heard it reported that we're moving into the endemic phase of the COVID crisis. Can you speak a little bit about the difference between pandemic and endemic and what that means for us as a society? Absolutely. You know, for the last two years, the one thing that all of us have in common, right, the common thread is that we've been living with COVID um, and the pandemic, which has been a traumatic experience for most humans, right, um, is living in the pandemic is living in crisis. It's living in stress. It's living in the unknown. For many, it is living in fear and not knowing what's going to happen or how to deal with it. Um, so it's a high stress, high anxiety time, right? Um, that's why it's so traumatic for so many humans and so many people in general. Um, and we see, you know, while we've all experienced it, we've all experienced individually and differently. Um, so as we start to talk about moving through the pandemic and into the endemic, that is how do we how do we kind of get better? How do we respond? How do we find resolution? How do we move forward? Um, the endemic is more of learning to live with what the traumatic experience was. And you know, for many, the government and we've heard on the news that COVID will probably be with us forever, much like the flu is with us forever, right? Um, but the thought process of how do we live with COVID? How do we live with the fact that people will probably get sick every winter? Um, how do we live with these things versus shutting down and living in crisis and living in fear? And more of how do we live productively um, and respond with healthy coping skills and, and manage life as life continues to unfold? Um, and that's kind of this difference of living in crisis versus moving through crisis into healing, right? And as we start to talk about the impact of mental health with the pandemic versus the endemic, like I said, many individuals have experienced it and it has been a traumatic experience. You know, the pandemic for everybody was, was difficult. It was stressful, it was anxiety producing, not knowing what's going to happen next, um, being removed from family and friends, having to isolate, not being able to be social has a lasting impact on so many people. Um, so now as we look at the endemic, we're looking at what is the ripple effect from the pandemic, right? What are the consequences of being isolated, of being removed, of not having healthy relationships, 
Um, you know, and what does that look like? How do, what is that going to end up looking like in the endemic, right? We're, we're seeing an increase in anxiety. We're seeing an increase in individuals struggling to reintegrate into what were normal healthy relationships prior to the pandemic. You know, so we're, we're seeing while we're physically healthier from a mental health perspective, there's a huge increase in mental health needs, anxiety, depression, um, and just this overall inability to reintegrate and manage life because the pandemic was so detrimental to so many people. So how are you seeing, how are you seeing that transition kind of manifest uh, right now, specifically with, with, with young folks, um, teenagers and the like? You know, I think as we can, as professionals, we continue to kind of look at what the impact was. Um, and from a mental health lens, you know, I'm a licensed clinician and have been for 22 years. There's this concern of everywhere you look, there's an increase in mental health needs from children and adolescents straight through um, adulthood. You know, and we're seeing an increase in people requesting services and trying to figure out how to manage life. But I think the most concerning population is this adolescent population, right? It's this group of individuals who by nature developmentally are supposed to be social and are supposed to be interacting and are supposed to be learning how to be autonomous and going through all of these crucial developmental stages that take you into adulthood and help you be a you know, well-adjusted adult. And for many of them, their lives got put on hold for two years. So they were socially isolated and they're social beings. Um, for many of them, they, they had major losses, whether it was loss of friends or loss of monumental occasions, graduations, proms, all of these things that are super important to the adolescent population, they experienced so much loss that they are really struggling with anxiety. They're struggling with how do I respond to the world? Is this what it's going to be like forever? You know, and depending upon the home in which you lived in will also affect how the teenagers are and the adolescents are really responding to the pandemic. You know, if you have parents that are super anxious and were very depressed or very stressed during the pandemic, that breeds through to the children and adolescents. You know, it's that concern of what are we modeling for our children? And so, you know, if you are an adolescent that was in, in a home where both your parents lost their jobs and you went from being able to put food on the table to living almost in poverty and not knowing where the next paycheck was going to come from or where your next meal was going to come from, those are major life stressors that are impacting our adolescents now. And so we're seeing that that huge increase in, in need for mental health support and how do we build resilience for our adolescents and how do we provide them with positive and supportive environments and relationships. Um, and that's, you know, again, there's, there's this ripple effect. And for as long as the pandemic was, it's going to probably take us equally as long to move through the endemic and help stabilize our youth again. So you referred to, you mentioned um, the, you know, serious, um, you know, Maslow hierarchical stressors, right? So for, for some kids, it's the stress of having to deal with, you know, Zoom school for the better part of a year and the, and, and, and the implications of that for other kids. Um, 
it's having to deal with the stressors of um, parents with unemployment um, and the and a, a, a lack of stability, like true health stability in the home. Um, how are you? How are you seeing in your work uh, that that impact and and how you know families are coming in for services for their kids um, in terms of of how they're dealing with that and what you can provide? You know, I think that that's like a multi-tiered kind of question and response. You know, from a behavioral health lens, when we look at things, um, our industry works works and looks at child mental health and wellness through a lens called ACEs, it's adverse childhood experiences. And how resilient a adolescent is, is directly related to how many adverse childhood experiences they've had. So for example, you know, ACEs is typically bucket into three categories. You have abuse, neglect, and household dysfunction. So if there's no abuse and no neglect and no household dysfunction, so that includes, you know, no mental illness, no financial issues, no substance abuse, um, no divorce, then you're going to have a really, you should have a, a highly resilient adolescent. But for every bucket that you, you check another box, right? So if you have an adolescent during the pandemic where they experienced or witnessed physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, um, or were ne neglected either physically or emotionally, right? Because their parents may not have been capable of being emotionally available because they were dealing with their own stress of the pandemic, right? And their own stressors of how do I provide for my family? How do I keep my family safe? Because for a lot of parents who live in fear, that was how do I keep myself safe? But more important, how do I keep my family safe? How do I protect them? Which is why we see so many families that kind of just went into this bubble, right? Everybody lived within the, the four walls of their actual house and that was it, no going outside, no doing anything. And then add in, like if there's enough, you know, if parents or extended family living in the home have any kind of mental illness, um, if there's any kind of legal issues going on, if there's any kind of substance abuse going on. And we've seen a huge increase in substance use during the pandemic because what else was there to do, right? <laughs> You're sitting home all day. Um, so we've seen an increase in alcohol use across the board in adults on a whole. Um, and then and additionally, if there's any divorce, so if there's family conflict in the home, every time you add one of these kind of adverse experiences, it brings down the resiliency of that, of that adolescent and it makes it more difficult for them to manage their own life stressors of living in the pandemic, being socially isolated, feeling like they don't belong someplace, struggling with their own identity or autonomy of who am I, where do I belong, where do I fit in, um, sprinkle in what happens if, you know, they were getting bullied prior to going into the pandemic or, you know, adolescents today have it far more difficult than we did when we were adolescents, right? Their whole life is on social media. It's under a microscope and to exist as an adolescent in the world, it's almost like you have to have these social media platforms, but it also exposes you to all sorts of feedback, positive and negative on a regular basis, you know? So when we start looking at who are the populations of, of adolescents that are gonna be more resilient um, or who are those adolescents that just continually are kind of hitting a wall with every possible adverse experience you can imagine, we are seeing some, dis some disparities. We are seeing that there are some pockets where 
there's greater need for support for mental health. Um, you know, and the the stability of the youth is directly related to the stability of their family um, and how their family managed through the pandemic. Um, and so we have certain areas where we have an increase in referrals. I will say that we, you know, RY has a very large counseling branch and we're in over a hundred schools throughout Monmouth, Ocean and Middlesex County. And we have huge districts at a clip. And I would say that there's not one district that is saying, we don't need your help right now. Everybody is saying there's not nearly enough mental health support to meet the need of the youth currently. Can you refer to um, experiences that, that you've had where you've uh, directly responded to, to trauma just to kind of give us a sense of, of, of not only your role, but like what, what, what folks can do for families and what kind of real like traumatic issues are being brought to you? Yeah, absolutely. So the other thing that RY does is we hold the contract for the Traumatic Loss Coalition for Monmouth and Ocean County in New Jersey. Um, and what that is, is, is anytime there's a traumatic loss that affects youth, we provide a postvention response, right? We, we provide support. So since January, my team has provided 11 responses in Monmouth County alone. So when you start looking at how many weeks there are, right, from January to March, we've been incredibly busy. And some of those responses have been for um, deaths by suicide of adolescents. Um, and those are typically really difficult to do. Uh, we've spent a lot of time on site for the districts providing support for those for those youth and for the staff that work with those youth. Um, we've had a couple of deaths that were traumatic in that um, they were teachers that were ill. And so they have passed on due to natural causes, but it's still a traumatic event for the, for the students. And so we provide support for that. And I think that the, the piece that is most difficult right now for the TLC is that we just came off a two year pandemic where everybody is already kind of feeling saturated and overwhelmed and exhausted and so and feeling like they can't handle one more thing and so when there is a traumatic loss it is that much more detrimental to the community so the work that my team is doing is that much more i don't want to see draining but that much more difficult because you're already dealing with a population that is saturated and is at capacity and so they're feeling like they can't handle or deal with one more thing and then they are dealing with a loss of a friend or a peer or a teacher or a community member. Um, and it's kind of like they're having a hard time managing those losses. So the TLC has really been working very hard to provide support and educate on how do you build resilience and how do you manage these kind of stressors. Um, and we're hopeful that things will eventually turn around. Um, but right now it, you know, it's a lot of work and that, that team is, deserves a lot of credit because it's been a really rough two years. And as professionals, like I said, the mental health field has never taken a day off during the pandemic. You know, we're essential staff. We've been there to support everybody through and through. And so as professionals, you know, you kind of have to put your own personal life on hold and manage what everybody else's needs are. And so they're continuing to do that. And they definitely, they definitely are, are feeling a little tired, I think at this point. And so, well, you're a mom. 
you have, oh, yeah. you, you have kids and a family, um, that your work, your professional life, uh, really must, uh, bleed in or at least influence how you approach and perceive and kind of go about life at home. Uh, what's that, what's that gotta be like? You know, it's one of those things where when you're asked that question, it's kind of like, it's who I am. It's what I do. I think that the two kind of bleed together as one. I think, you know, being a mom makes me a better professional and being a professional in turn, hopefully makes me a better mom. You know, I think being the mom of three teenage boys is a fantastic opportunity. And my kids are just awesome, if you ask me. But they give life lessons on a regular basis, right? It's, you have to practice what you preach. So if you talk about how do you take care of yourself, you have to model these things for your kids. If you want your kids to be communicative, you have to be communicative with them. You know, my favorite example is, is when you say to your kid, you know, how was your day? And they say, fine. What exactly does that mean, right? I'm always like, what is fine? Fine is nothing. It doesn't tell me anything. Did you do a, did you have a good day? Did, you know, there's no feeling there. There's no nothing. Um, and because of what I do for a living, I am able to take that a step further and be like, can you tell me what that means? Like, can you elaborate? Um, so my kids, because I am a professional and a therapist and have been for so long, are really very communicative. They know how to share their feelings. But my husband and I also model that for them. You know, we sit down, we have conversations at the table. We'll talk about what's going on in the world. We'll talk about the pandemic. We'll talk about politics. You know, all the things that are heated conversations, but we give them a safe a safe place where they have a voice, where they can share what their feelings are, where they can share what their frustrations are. And that is part of building resilience. You know, children have to have a voice. They have to feel like they are heard. And our job as parents is to support that and also to to acknowledge what their feelings are. You know, if they're stressed, why are you feeling stressed? Help me understand what's going on for you. And let's come up with a way that it'll, that'll help make it feel better. If you're feeling overwhelmed, okay, well, what's going on in your world that feels overwhelming? And how do we work on time management? You know, our job as parents is to help our children learn how to navigate the world so they can become successful adults. And in order to do that, you need to know how to communicate. You need to know how to problem solve. You need to know how to manage your time. You need to know how to prioritize. You know, these are all important skills that as parents, we have to model them for our children. And so again, this, this thought process of communicating with your kids, you have to do these things. You know, the question of how was your day? Okay, great. And then just leaving it at that. You know, I, I say to my husband all the time that our kids are most communicative when we're in the car. If I get one of them in the car by themselves, they're a captive audience. And I will drive around like an extra couple of blocks just to give them the time that they need to, to share about whatever it is going on, whatever is going on at school, whatever's going on with their sports, with their friends, and give them the space that they need and the time that they need to share those things. It's easier to do it sometimes when you have a captive audience than when you know they're sitting home in their room and they have a cell phone in front of them or a video game or a computer or what have you. So, right. So, but you referred earlier to, to the pressures, the social pressures on, on kids, especially teenagers and social media. And so, uh, you know, with all the tech and the, 
complexity of, um, of, of the growth and development that they experience at that age, how, how do we as parents take responsibility for the health and welfare and wellness of our kids while somehow still trying to honor and respect their growing desire for privacy and independence? You know, I think that like all things in life, there needs to be balance, right? And I have three teenage boys and it feels like their entire life is on the device that they hold in their hand, right? And during the the pandemic, it was essential to have that because that's how they were connected to their friends. You know, I, we, my husband and I do moderate how much and how often they're on their phones. Um, they all have, you know, Snapchat and Instagram and all of these platforms um, that we also hold accounts for. So we can kind of see what our kids are putting out into the universe and what are they're exposed to on a regular basis. Um, and we frequently will have conversations about what's going on on the social media apps. But I think for adolescents who are social by nature and they thrive on being connected to one another, that not having that connection is more detrimental than, you know, as parents, we see and we're like, you're constantly on your device. Yes, they're constantly on their device. They're constantly, constantly being connected to the people that they want to be connected to and that help kind of feel, you know, fuel their, their souls kind of fill their cup, you know, and as parents, as long as you are having conversations about what are you doing on your phone? Like, who are you, you know, who are you, who are you talking to? Or, wow, you've really, you've been on your phone for like the last 20 minutes. Is everything okay? What, like what's going on? And having those moments of check-in, I think, again, if we can kind of help them figure out what moderation looks like, it's essential for them to be connected to their peers. This is the first school year in two years that they've been back in person. And just recently, they're now allowed to be mask-free in New Jersey. And so, you know, they're just finding normalcy after two years. And so if the only normal thing that they've had going on for the last two years is the connection via, you know, Snapchat or Instagram or just regular text messaging, FaceTime, then that's what they needed to kind of, to be connected and feel normal. What do you? What can you tell us about the the signs and symptoms of a of a teenager or adolescent suffering behind closed doors? You know, I would say to any parent, you know your kid best. You know, and when you start seeing changes in those behaviors, that's when it's kind of alarming. If you have a child who typically is, you know, laughing and hanging out and communicating on a regular basis and they start to withdraw and are spending a lot of time in their room. Um, you want to start checking in what's going on. Is everything okay? It's okay to say, Hey, I've noticed that you're spending a lot of time in your room with the door closed. What is everything? Okay. What's going on? Um, I always say you can't ask your kid enough questions because most of them, I have teenage boys, so it's not like they're just going to tell me all the things up front. It really is like, you know, unpacking a bag some days where you ask a couple questions, they give you a little information and then you go, okay, I need to ask a couple more questions to get some more information. So if you're noticing differences, it's okay to ask your child, what's going on? Is everything okay at school? Is everything okay with your friends? 
Are you feeling depressed? Are you feeling anxious? You can call these things out because sometimes our kids don't even know what those things are. They don't know how to verbalize those things or identify them, you know, but again, withdrawal, um, not participating in things they used to do. So if you have a student or an adolescent who is um, an athlete and all of a sudden they abruptly are like, I don't want to play anymore. That prompts the question of what's going on. Is everything okay? Did something happen? Um, again, isolation, withdrawal, not hanging out with their friends, changes, big changes in, in friend groups where all of a sudden they're not there anymore. Um, you know, those kind of things you want to really hone in on and, and start asking questions. And it does that overall presentation of like sadness where you used to see, you know, you look again, you know, your kid, when you look at them and you kind of see the light in their face and the light in their eyes and you can see their spirit. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, they just look sad and unhappy. Again, a conversation, like I'm noticing, are you okay? Give, give them the space they need to share. Right. But they're not always forthcoming with that information, especially if they're going through something that's, that's, that's confusing and upsetting. Um, and so, you know, so I'm a father of a 12 year old boy and I think about this stuff all the time. And I, you just like you and, and, and everybody else from, from my or our generation don't have the experience of growing up with the handheld connection to the cyber universe um, and all that comes along with that. And so I, as a parent, I often feel like a fish out of water, just trying to figure out how to navigate that. And so, you know, I, I appreciate that, that information and that advice on what to look for. But then like there comes a point and, and I'm sure that a lot of parents are going through this where they're, they're in this kind of dark end of the water where you don't necessarily, you know that there's something up, but they're not being forthcoming. And you don't know if your child is in a, is in crisis or not. And what to do as a parent, because you're, you're straddling the, that the, 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 boundary um and straddling your role and wanting to make the right decision but knowing that that if you go too far in a reactive direction right you're going to then you then potentially are, are going to have trust issues with your kid further on down the line does that make sense am, am i speaking reasonably in terms of things that you may have heard or known of yeah, absolutely. You know, I think being a parent is probably the most difficult job on the face of the planet, right? They don't give you a manual how to do this job. Unlike every other job you do, you get paid to do, there's usually some kind of job description and manual, right? Being a parent- But that's why we have you here, right? We figured <laughs> we're going to air this for everybody who works for the Y and none of us are going to have this issue again. Well, while I appreciate that, <laughs> I doubt that highly. <laughs> um, but what I can share is, is, you know, being a parent is a lot of instinct and gut and knowing what's going on with your kid. You know, you as a parent, you have to pay attention. You have to pick up on the cues and you have to continually ask, you know. So to your point, you want to give them some space and you don't want to be reactive and you don't want to be, you know, the helicopter parent who is, all up in their space all of the time and kind of micromanaging their life. But you do have to, to pick up on the cues and continually ask the question, 
right? If I ask you the question five times on the fifth time or the sixth time, eventually you're going to start to tell me what's going on because you're going to get tired of me asking. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes it's how we ask, you know, you do, you can say, are you okay? Yep. You know, and you can ask that question five times and get the same answer. But if you change it and go, you know, Hey, you know, I noticed that you, you just kind of seem really unhappy right now. Can you, can you tell me what's going on? Like, I get the sense that something's bothering you. Can we talk about it? And you keep coming at them from a different way and keep changing the language. Eventually they're going to break down and tell you, you know, on a rare occasion, they will stay steadfast. And at that point, that's when you kind of go to the pediatrician. I would always start at the pediatrician and be like, so I'm a little concerned because I feel, I feel like something's going on. I feel like they're not talking to me, you know, or you can call a, a counselor and be like, you know, can I have my son or daughter come in for a consult? Just because I have the sense that something's just not right. I always say, go with your gut as a parent. It will never steer, steer you wrong. If you think something's wrong with your child, there's something wrong with your child. You know, you, again, a lot of this is just knowing who your, who your child is and, and, and recognizing in those moments when something doesn't feel right. Yeah. And I think that it also can't be, and, and you can feel free to, to correct me on this uh, from your own professional wisdom, but as a, um, as a former early childhood education professional and as a parent, for those, for listeners who have younger children, whose children aren't necessarily in this adolescent teen um, age bracket that, that we are kind of addressing our concern, this is the opportunity you have to develop a relationship with your child that is based on trust and open communication and acceptance. Because when, when you set that groundwork now, then later on, when, when, when your child is older, dealing with adversity and potential crisis, that your child will see you as, as someone that they can trust and, and talk to rather than, um, rather than shy away from or, um, or be closed off to. Does that, is that sound, does that sound like it, does that kind of advice mesh with what you know about child development as they get to the school age and then later on teenage years, Leanne? Absolutely. Most definitely. You know, the sooner you can start communicating with your child, the easier it will be when they get to adolescent years. You know, these things are important. So certain messaging that you can start early on is something that you can build on and build those conversations on as they get older, get older. So kind of those age appropriate things, you know, how was your day when you're five? What, you know, tell me what, what was one good thing that happened at school? What is, what is one thing that, that didn't make you happy at school? Um, you know, positives versus, you know, things that could be better tomorrow, those kind of things. You, anytime that you can engage your child in a conversation, tell me about your friends. Um, what do you like about them? It, you want to be involved. You want to build trust. You want your children to know that no matter what the conversation is, they can tell you anything. Um, I can tell you as a mom of three teenage boys, my boys tell me things all the time. And I'm like, oh, I, I was not expecting that to be the thing you told me today. Awesome. But then in the same breath, I'm grateful because they'll come talk to us. They talk to myself. They talk to my husband. 
you know, we are so involved in their life. They can trust us good, bad, or good, bad, or ugly, right? At any given day as a parent, if your kid can trust that whatever they tell you, they won't be judged and they will be supported, then you are doing your job. That's great to know. And, uh, you know, for, for listeners who are noticing, we, we do have, uh, we always have limited time with our guests and we want to be really mindful of, of Leanne's time. And so I'm, I'm only going to ask a couple more questions of you. Uh, but, um, but for, for those who are interested, interested in this, in this, this isn't going to be the only time we talk about this topic, uh, in this season of, of WNJY podcasts. And, and we are looking to, um, to get, deeper and more specific in terms of, of how, how, you know, living in, in today's society is impacting teenagers and adolescents, uh, throughout all of our communities. And, and we know there are a lot of particularities that we're not addressing in this conversation that we'll want to address in future conversations. Um, but what I think would be really important for folks to, to know today is, uh, what resources are available to parents? You mentioned start with the pediatrician, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's great advice. But what else is out there in terms of um, support and, and and even advocacy? Absolutely. And, it you know, I'm glad that you brought this up, Mike, because I also um, participate in the mental health thought leader cohort with um, the, uh, the Y Alliance, not the Y Alliance, YPN. Um, and so if you go for any Y professional, if you go to link, which is the network of resources, there's actually a whole host of resources for Y professionals that you can use either in your role working for the Y or in your personal life. A lot of these are, you know, transferable. Um, so we have mental health go, go kits on there for everything from building resilience, mental health conversations, trauma-informed responses, suicide prevention, all awesome tools. Um, there's also a podcast by one of my friends and colleagues, Sarah, on building resilience. So I would say to everybody, go to Link and look at some of these resources. The network has spent a lot of time building these and providing them because we know it's essential. And so if you need a place to start, start there, right? So you can always go to your pediatrician, but for Y professionals, definitely go to Link and, and look at some of these resources. Um, and then I think that the other piece to this, right, is if we talk about how do we build resiliency in our adolescence, it's this sense of belonging. Um, I know that in New Jersey alone, we've seen a huge increase in adolescent memberships at the branches at the facilities um, where the youth are coming in to use the gyms or to do some of the team programming, um, to play basketball because they're looking for someplace to go and someplace to be. And so we want to continue to cultivate that and strengthen that. So if you're seeing that your adolescent is not involved, get them involved, get them involved in something, you know, any kind, any time that they can feel like there is purpose and that they belong someplace. All three of my sons are athletes. And I will tell you that through the pandemic, that was the greatest asset that they had because they never stopped playing their sports. They were always connected. They were connected to their teammates. They had that structure. They had the continuity that provided them the outlet that they needed to manage their stress. So for any adolescent who's not an athlete, get them connected to the Y, send them to the Y, let them do, you know, some kind of 
teen program or a, a camp or anything, get them involved because any, again, anytime that you can connect them to people who are going to be positive and supportive and give them a sense of purpose and belonging, that will help build resiliency for them. And that will help them manage whatever is in front of them that feels overwhelming or stressful. Leanne, thank you so much for spending time with the podcast this morning. Uh, We are always grateful for your knowledge, experience, and leadership supporting families at the Y and around all of our communities. I really look forward to the next time we get to speak and maybe one day even in person. And I, uh, I hope that you have a lovely rest of your week. Thank you so much for being here. And we will talk again soon. Absolutely, Mike. It's always a pleasure. And I look forward to the next time. Joining me now is Sue Cornell, Director of Strategic Partnerships and Engagement for the New Jersey YMCA State Alliance. Hi, Sue. Thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. So um, what are you hearing from Y leaders and other family professionals around the state on the impact the last two years have have had on this generation of young people and their, their mental health and wellness? Yeah. Um, So in large part, I'm going to refer to um, the work we do from our early childhood programs to our school age programs. Um, And again, since um, this population, um, we are most engaged with their programming. But in saying this, our wives are in the youth development business. Right. So it is our job during these early years to provide them that safe space and environment to help them grow and thrive and become confident teens and adults. Um, So really what I'm hearing from Y leaders is that they observed a definite delay in children's social and emotional maturity and resilience, uh, especially when children first started to return to our early childcare and our school age programs early on in the pandemic, staff just noticed a delay in the ability to express their thoughts and feelings to resolve conflict and problem solve. Um, They're just overwhelmed, right? Overwhelmed with understanding things like social distancing and mask requirements, um, plus the school demands along with virtual learning. Um, And all this with no real outlets to play or socialize or be heard. Um, what our youth development and childcare leadership have sh- also shared is that they first needed to support their staff. All right, kind of like let's get our house in order and develop this foundationally. Um, so we really looked at mental health as um, I'm sorry, we we really looked at the mental health of our own staff and provided them the support they needed, um, and we provided training and resources to arm them with the skills to help children work through these issues. Um, we really need to address this through a lens that is not what's wrong with you, the child, but what has happened to you. And I'm here to help and support you. Our staff also shared how families leaned on them um, and they were more connected and there was more of a partnership with parents in providing support to these children. Um, You know, we're ramping up um, programs like mental health first aid for our staff. 
um, having them understand what trauma-informed care is and the ACEs, as Leanne had mentioned, the adverse child experiences, and the understanding of the foundations of social-emotional well-being. So I, I really think they get it now. They know the why. So prior to the pandemic, we were saying this is important, but they just wanted kids to have, you know, do what was already in their curriculum. So, you know, that's what I'm hearing, that there's definitely compassion and an awareness around the need for these mental health support programs. So there's quite a bit to unpack there. Um, so we heard Leanne talking about her experiences as a as a as a a, a a Y staff clinician and mental health professional. And so now we want to go back to normal. We want and and you know I'm being flipping here, but we we just want everybody to go back to normal as quickly as possible so that we can feel normal. And uh and that you know runs the risk of glossing over the 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 traumas whether major life-altering significant traumas or simply the day-to-day stuff that kids have to deal with, uh, whether that's online school, in school, in sports, at the Y, wherever they are, at home. And, uh, and, and, and through that process, what Leanne was, had noticed and what I know you and I have spoken about before is that, is that more kids need more help that is specific to uh, to healing, what kind of why programs exist or are currently being developed to try to address these more kind of specific needs of families with, with kids, whether they're younger school age kids or, or teenagers and adolescents who, who may or may not be in crisis? Right. Yeah. So I think all of our New Jersey YMCAs now understand the need to integrate the mental health awareness and the support for youth and teens and families. Um, And there's a lot of approaches to do this. I, I think that the leadership should be looking at this from a youth development perspective. And as I mentioned earlier, our previous team programming was really based around leadership and character development. But now there's a need to focus on all aspects of wellness. And, you know, as we better understand ACEs, you know, we know we have parents that went through trauma that are now trying to function as that parent. So there's a lot of approaches to this. Um, First of all, we're a major employer teens, sometimes one of their first jobs. Okay. So the first thing we have to do really is provide them the social, emotional, and mental health support and skills. So we need our supervisors, again, to be conscious of the mental health uh, of their staff um, and also to uh, ensure they're providing a positive work environment and that they support um, the confidence of this youth and their self-worth and that they're modeling these characteristics and values. Um, from a program standpoint, um, we may not be the experts in this field. A lot of times our why we want to pick up and create our own programs, but this is uh, really somewhere that uh, we may not be the experts, but we are definitely can be the conveners and we can provide the avenues to put programs in place because kids feel comfortable at the why and they feel safe. 
Um, some of our partners, uh, and actually, as I said before, we were ramping this up pre-pandemic. We work with the Harmony Social Emotional Learning Program, which provides training for your staff, but also um, a CASEL-approved curriculum around the five components of social emotional learning and intelligence. Um, you know, self-awareness, self-management, peer relationships, and so forth. Uh, we're also ramping up uh, the mental health first aid training, which provides training for staff um, around identifying um, mental health issues or being able to provide support um, and where to go to find other resources. There's also a program within there that is a teen mental health first aid, which I think we should all be adopting within our YMCAs. And that offers trainings to our youth so that they can identify red flags among their peers and also provide that support and know where to go for resources. Um, we've worked a little bit with a program called Health Corps, and that really works within high schools by developing health and wellness clubs that are obviously they've in the past been focused on healthy living, but now they're really focused on social, emotional, and resiliency. Um, so we're working as a, a student-driven health and wellness club. Um, a lot of our Ys have been partnering with other organizations. Our Madison Y works with the coalition out of Madison that works with children, teens, and families around Chatham, Florham Park, and Madison um, with families struggling with social, emotional, and behavioral issues, um, and also outsourcing other counseling services. Um, and as Leanne had said, the Greater Mammoth Y does such great work with um, their counseling and their trauma um, coalition. Also, we have the Night of Conversation. So every year in November, we uh, work with programs or a Night of Conversation on the pretense that we know when families eat a meal together, that is the perfect time. And obviously without their cell phones in hand, the perfect time to start to have these conversations. So when we're um, including our families and our parents in these conversations and creating the partnership, um, that child is getting a continuous, seamless support system, you know, all the way now from our school age program into our teen programs. Um, and we're arming our parents with the skills of how to, and I think even Leanne talked about this, how to ask that question. How was your day today? Okay, doesn't suffice. How do you keep that conversation going? Um, so the Night of Conversation is a very powerful program. Um, and then she definitely um, referred to our link resources. Um, and there is uh, a plethora of resources in there. There's another podcast of a teen panel. So anywhere we can share this with, you know, our staff, with the youth that we serve and our families, um, it's going to benefit. Um, you know, I really feel like the YMCA's are at the heart of this and, and it is essential that we're a strong community partner uh, with our schools and the other youth serving organization in addressing these issues. We need to be able to open our doors to the youth. Uh, we need to prepare our adult staff to be models and mentors. And most important, we need to be leaders in normalizing the conversation and providing the environment and space for teens to, to thrive. So there's a lot of resources out there available to us, and um, hopefully, <clears throat> if you're listening to this podcast, you 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 got it either from 
from a uh, from a podcast stream streaming service or from uh, the hosting site or even uh, the YPN web web page. But in there, you'll find links to to a lot of these resources. Uh, so the mental health first aid training. Um, how how did how would Y staff go about? getting that now? Is that something that they can sign up for in the LCDC? Or are, are we looking to put uh, live staff professional development workshops together for, for associations and branches, uh, specifically for, for mental health first aid? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Especially actually, for kids. Yeah. Actually, prior to the pandemic, we were very close to a statewide grant where we'd be able to provide this for all of our staff and as a precursor to anyone in our YMCAs. And this just isn't in child care staff or camp or team, but everyone in our YMCAs should have mental health first aid. Um, I would recommend they they just reach out. Um, and I know every Y is doing something a little different. There's many wise that already have this in place. Um, so I recommend, you know, just reaching out to your uh, Department of Health and Mental Health Services organization. There is funding out there available to get your, your staff and your teens and provide a program for your teens. Okay. And if there's any, if they need any help, they can always contact me at the Alliance that can help uh, connect them to resources. Thank you, Sue. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, this isn't going to be the only time that we address this concern and topic in, in the podcast. And I do look forward to working with you to find other providers at associations around New Jersey, um, even even third parties who are who are partnering with WISE uh, to to share their stories and experiences about their programs and their kids uh, with the with with WNJY, and so um, so I really appreciate you you coming on and and talking about this and and working with me to to uh, to to pull together other resources that can be shared out throughout YPN. Once again, I want to thank Leanne Wagner from the Y of Monmouth County and Sue Cornell from the Y State Alliance for joining me today. I also want to thank our listeners for listening and to let you know that you need to keep your eye on the YPN website, ypnchapter17.org, and YPN Chapter 17 social media pages for an announcement of our first live podcast recording coming up very soon. WNJY will be recording the podcast in a live, live like Zoom webinar format open to all New Jersey Y employees with opportunities to participate and ask questions. This event will also feature the debut of new host of WNJY, Naya Nozier from the Sussex YMCA. So stay tuned for more information on that and have a safe, healthy, and productive rest of your week. Thank you.